0: Good afternoon, church. Good afternoon, good afternoon. God is good. He's, and all the time. Is, okay. What are we doing that one? That's what's up. It's true. It's true. It's good to be with you all. It's great to be with you all. Favorite time of the week. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We have a lot of ground to cover. <sighs> Y'all know what that means when I say that. So there that, okay, sis, that's, praise God, praise God. Side note, I preached a really long message one time here. Y'all will probably remember it. And I was like, oh no, it was super long. And Spurgeon has a quote where he says, in order to preach over 45 minutes, either the preacher is an angel or the church is filled with him. And uh, one time I had preached long and Sister Dottie said, we got a church of angels. (laughs) So please be angelic today. Let's pray. (laughs) Oh dear Lord, oh dear Lord. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God forever and ever. Be to our God. Forever and ever, amen. Oh Lord, bless us, bless us, bless us. Unite us under that anthem. We're gonna sing that forever. Help us to live that now. Oh Lord, would you sanctify us in the truth? Your word is truth. Would you be pleased to give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ, that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we would know what is the hope to which you have called us, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards us who believe. We'll do this for your name's sake, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. (sighs) I have a heavy one on my heart that I hope I'm able to give to you. Uh, This is the last sermon series in our navigating hard times. Um, Our last uh, sermon in the series (laughs) is not the last sermon series, but (laughs) we're going to keep preaching sermons. Uh, We thought it was important to circle back and talk about unity. Convinced if you haven't been living under a rock or a cave, I don't need to even explain why that would be needed at this time in our culture. Especially as we think as it relates to racial tension, not only in the world, but also in the church. We are now in perhaps the most racially tense environment in the past 20 years. At least in the American church. And so we want to, and I'm just speaking at America, I know other places they like, what? But we're talking about in the American church. And it's important we remember it's just in the American church. Other stuff has been going crazy for a while. But we want to think through how to navigate this all. Uh, a lot of solutions are being offered. A lot of instructions being given. Uh, a lot of counsel being proclaimed. And we want to make sure that we're rooted in the word. I believe spirit. Scriptures speak to this arena, and thankfully, I think the scriptures speak plainly about it. Uh, uh, Peter, when talking about some of Paul's writings, he says, Some of them are hard to understand. Praise God, this isn't one of them. So let's jump into our text. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to focus on verse 13 and 14. Uh, by God's grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 and 14. Please hear the word of the Lord. But now in Christ Jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility? This is God's word. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. Indeed, I hope to give you three points and two application points. So that's five points total, but it won't be numbered that way. It's a little activity for you to do while I'm preaching. Uh, First, let's appreciate the context of the passage. We're in chapter two of the book of Ephesians. Uh, The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, which we see from the first verse in the first chapter. It was written to the saints that are in Ephesus called those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And it's a letter aimed at helping them know what the church is and what the church should be doing all according to the grace of God. We can always use more instruction about what the church is and what the church should be doing, all according to the grace of God. Uh, At the heart of this letter is a labor to help the saints understand what the church is and what the church should be doing. Uh, And I think that summary is accurate, for we can measure it by Paul's own words. If you flip over to Ephesians chapter 3, he explains his burden right there in verse 8. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8, the apostle Paul writes, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, the grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone... What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a aim, what a burden. And that is the lofty aim of this very little letter, right? He's aiming to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's one of those phrases when you say it, it just adds flavor to the soul. The unsearchable riches of Christ. We don't have a thin Christ. We don't have a skinny Christ. We have an inexhaustible Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And it's important for us to know that there would have been in Ephesus some ethnic tension. There was some semblance of a dividing wall of hostility. Our text mentions this in verse 14. And this dividing wall of hostility was erected because of different people groups. There were different groups within the church that were confused about how to relate to each other and love as a family. There was an us versus them dynamic, perhaps. We know from other Paul letters, this was present in many of the churches that was keeping them from enjoying and experiencing the oneness and the unity that they had in Christ. Uh, Paul had just been reflecting, if you're familiar with chapter one into chapter two, he had just been reflecting on what has happened to everyone who has trusted in Jesus. He had just been reflecting on some of them unsearchable riches in Christ, in order to teach the church how they really need to frame how they view one another in the church, the church is God's. It's God's space. It's God's people. God's own. It's Jesus' body, his bride, it's his domain. He rules it, he runs it, it's his. Well, this kind of clarity, this kind of thinking about what the church is and what the church should do, particularly as we think through tension, relational tension, even racial tension, ethnic tension, uh, this is needed in our day too, isn't it? Well, racial confusion in the world seems to be equally reflected in the church oftentimes, especially under that topic of race relations. The, The world is divided and hostile. If you don't think so, just tweet a little bit. And unfortunately, though, so too are many churches. Our own church, Risen Christ Fellowship, isn't exempt from this hostility, right? We've experienced our own share of scuffles over racial identity. I know I have with some. I'm sure you have with others as we seek to wrestle through what it means to be the church and what we ought to do. Well, I don't stand before you today with a solution for the world. We are told from early on in this very chapter that the course of this world is bound to the devil, right? They are following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, and he's the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience. The way we best influence the world is by appealing to them to flee from the wrath to come and jump into the church with us. Uh, For we're those who are trusting in Christ and he's the only ark that makes it to safety. And we compel them to come. We seek to live among them so, we're, so they'll come. We seek to proclaim his excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness to light. In terms of a solution for the church, though, about how we relate to each other, how do we manage tension, how do we honor the Lord, we do have a little more to say. Indeed, Paul has a little more to say. A question for us is, could it be that many of us have forgotten what a church is? And what a Christian is. I know I'm saying that to people who have come to church on the Lord's Day, so I trust you know what a church is. And what a Christian is, you know the church is not the building, but the people. But that definition doesn't really get us through much. In fact, Paul was praying that they would understand something of its depth. He was laboring to help them see those riches that are in Jesus Could it be that many of us have forgotten what a church is and what a Christian is? How about you? Have you forgotten what a church is and what a Christian is? Uh, Where there is racial hostility in a church, there is a denial of what the church is and what a Christian is, which means that there is confusion about Christ. And the way we fix confusion about Christ is by looking to Christ. He has that powerful property that when we behold him, we become like him, transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And in this letter, Paul addresses, he hits on the relational tension, even the ethnic tension inside the church. We gotta love Paul for his clarity in this text because we see the sin of the hostility clearly and we see the solution to the hostility clearly. Um, As I said before, I have three points I want to move through the passage in. There are three points that I hope we're all able to agree with, to own, to live by. And I think if we do, I think we'll be better equipped to fight the devil, to love one another, and to give much glory to God. So three things, three points, and I think hope these three things are something we remember. First point: we were all far off from God. So you think through tension, you think through conflict of any kind, whether this is just with a friend, this is your family, this is your church. We would just remember something really important about who you are: your identity, your real identity, and the big. Banner over your identity is you were far off from God. Now in Ephesians, uh, this is especially a word for the Gentiles where he is right now. Uh, he reverses in verse 13 to those, look at it, chapter 2, 13, those who once were far off. Uh, it's true that the Jews were further off than they thought. But this is especially referencing the Gentiles, the group of people who were far off from God. Well, oh, who was once far off from God? And the answer is all of us. Now, Paul jumps into this Jew-Gentile debate, and he lays down for all their observance the humbling reality of each of their salvation. He said, hold on, back up. There should be no hostility in the church because Christ is the only reason anyone's there. How are you upset with another person or another group of people in the church when the only reason we all got in there was someone, none of us. Someone unlike any of us. Someone who did something for all, someone who did something none of us could do. Christ is the one who died for all this group. Now, it's important for us to know who the Gentiles are, who the Gentiles are. Since it's long, we'll be interactive. Who knows what a Gentile is? A non-Jew, exactly. Most basically, these were people who were not Jewish. The word translated as Gentile here is the word ethnos. Y'all know I don't know Greek? I'm only saying that so that you can hear ethnos and you can hear what we get our word for ethnic and ethnicity. Throughout the New Testament, that word ethnos is translated peoples or nations or Gentiles. As it is here. And it's referring to all the peoples who are not Israel. All the kinds of peoples who are not Israel. In much of the Old Testament, humanity is broken up into two categories, Israel and the nations. These were those who were God's people, Israel, and those who were not God's people, the other nations, a.k.a. everybody else, or as they would say here, Gentiles. And the, obviously, the obvious reason why this classification was significant was that being not Jewish meant something about you and God. Namely, that if you were not Jewish, you did not have God. That's the big deal with the, the phrase Gentile. Now, the story of redemption in the Bible is quite stunning. God creates Adam and Eve in his own image, creates man, tells him to fill the world, multiply, right? Create worshipers and fill the land with it. Adam and Eve don't want to obey God. They sin against God. And so the relationship that was intended, this Loving family God had created that was intended to walk with him, love him, enjoy him, and love each other. Sin separates and brought hostility. We saw the hostility is multifaceted immediately. It brings hostility and separation in marriage. It brings hostility and separation even in the family unit. So the first sons we get, one kills the other one. So rather than love his neighbor as himself, love his brother even as himself, he says, am I even my brother's keeper? Not only that, God promises this is going. To, this is going to continue. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent y'all gonna be at war. And that's what the the Bible shows us. It shows us the the seed of the woman, those who are believing and trusting in the Lord, the people of God, and everyone else, the nations who are raging against the Lord. Well, very quickly we see that sin brings separation and hostility. Cain kills his brother. He gets. Pushed out. He got to go run. And then he starts his own family. And and we see that death starts taking everybody out. We have a a whole chapter devoted to so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so died and died and died and died. And by the time you get to end the chapter 5, they're like, man, I'm tired. And Noah gets born. Noah, whose name means rest. Oh, okay. He's going to be relief. He's going to bring us comfort. Well, Noah gets born and God says, yo, everyone on earth is wicked. The, the every thought of their heart is continually wicked, continually evil. I'm shutting this down. And so he promises to send the flood of his judgment. But Noah found favor in God's sight and he says, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. Build an ark. He builds an ark. It rains. God takes out all the flesh, he says, because of the violence that was all over the earth. Well, we go forward a couple chapters. Waters finally recede, they've been floating on the boat. They land, they get off the boat, and guess what got off with them? Their sin. So Noah got the duo. God gave him the same command he gave Adam and Eve. Look, multiply, fill the land, and he blesses them. Well, Noah brings his sin with him, his family brings his sin with them. And what we have is the whole earth gets filled with sin again. So we know by this, because of the beginning of chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel, we're told that the whole earth together was united in sin against the Lord. The whole earth. So they use their collective force to oppose the Lord and God in his mercy, having promised he wouldn't destroy them. He says, let's disperse them. He interrupts their plan, confuses their language, disperses them throughout the world. We know this was a a sign of mercy. We know this because something happens in chapter 12. In chapter 12, we meet Abram. Now God calls to Abram and he says, look, I'm going to do something with you. From you, I'm going to bless you. Everybody else. And how he explains it to Abram is very interesting. He says, you know what? In you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Well, Paul understands that this was God preaching the gospel to Abraham. Right, Paul says, "Yo, God, God <laughs> promised." It says in, in in Galatians three eight, the Scripture foreseeing that God was going to justify the Gentiles by faith. That means all the rest of the nations, God was going to make right with Him by faith. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, "In you shall all the nations, again, ethnos, be blessed." So, the, the, from the beginning, you got you got a problem. Sin separates, brings hostility, and. And God has pledged a plan. He told us he has one. It's a redeeming plan. He says, listen, this is going to take a while, but it's going to be dope when I get done. I'm going to to raise up a people, and through this people, I'm going to showcase who I am, and I'm going to draw everybody else to myself, and then I'm going to merge everybody into a new people. It's going to happen through Abraham, his offspring who's the seed of the woman, and that that promise just gets forwarded and forwarded in the Bible, as uh, Bible Bobby likes to say, right? We're looking for a man, right? This is the story of redemption. God's intention, even in calling Abram, was to one day unite all the peoples of the earth under the blessing of his offspring. What they in their sin had forfeited, God, by his riches and love and kindness, was going to make available to them again. Namely, He'd make a way for them to be reconciled to him and restored as his people. This is the story of redemption. So what happens? Well, Abram fathers Isaac. Isaac fathers Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel, who's had sons. And his son sold Joseph, his other son, into slavery. And yet we find God purposed that to preserve life. God preserved his people through famine in Egypt, then delivered them from 400 years of slavery through Moses, led them by his power, spoke to them by his word on the mountain, cared for them by his very own powerful hand. He led them then by Joshua into the promised land, continually conquering their enemies, delivered them by the hands of Deborah and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson and Eli and Samuel. And then he raised up for them a king, King David who would seek to lead them in seeking after God's own heart. Then he continued to raise up king to lead them in that way. We have Jehoshaphat after him and Uzziah and Josiah and Hezekiah after that. What we find is this big, long story of God being long-suffering with his people, though they rebel against him. He still doesn't turn his love from them. He still forwards that wonderful purpose of redemption towards them. In their hostility towards him, he shows kindness and mercy towards them. Even in their captivity, he continues to speak words of comfort for them through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah. All the while, God never broke his covenant with them. He never failed to keep his promise to them. He never took hope away from them ever. He was their hope. And he promised to bless. He shows himself throughout the scriptures as a God who sticks with his people, who is merciful and who is gracious, who's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, a God who forgives sins, even the sins of thousands, but who will know by means no means clear the guilty. Great is his faithfulness and his steadfast love extends to the heavens. Now, we read this as Christians, but just appreciate the Gentileness. As amazing as that was for Israel to experience, and it's wonderful for Israel to experience, we know it wasn't originally intended for Israel, just for Israel to experience, right? It was supposed to spill over to all the families of the earth, right? Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations. They were to be an advertisement to the rest of the world that says, hey, come look at our God. Y'all gods are stone. You made them. Your gods are pillars. You made them. Ours is real. He led us. He fed us. Look at his power. He parts seas. He defeats armies. He, He provides. He leads us. He cares. He delivers. He heals. Come see him. Come see the goodness of the Lord. Come, magnify the Lord with us. So God was raising up Israel as a billboard for his character to be seen across the world. Look, Israel was the place. It all happened. Israel is where the house of God was. Israel was where the glory manifested. They had the law. They had God's spirit on their leaders. They had God's history of faithfulness towards them as a people. They had the words of his mouth in written form. They had the promise of his covenant. They were his chosen instrument to advertise how wonderful it is to be in a relationship with God. How wonderful it is to have the Lord, Yahweh, we know his name. How how much is to have him as your shepherd? How wonderful it is to have God with you. But what about the Gentiles? What about the nations? What about all the other peoples? All the other ethnos? Well, here's the kicker. The Gentiles didn't have none of that. And they were content without it. They had the idols and they were good. Israel would have been the same, but God chose them, and that was the only difference. He chose Israel. He didn't pick the other nations. Gentiles didn't have the oracles of God, they didn't have the song book, they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant or the promises of Scripture. And you were them. We were them. So even, even, even here in this time, in the time of Ephesians, even back then, people were making a big deal about their ethnicity, their lineage, their heritage. And where Paul starts is, hold up. Before everybody's starts making a big deal about their ethnicity, about their ethnic heritage, their ethnic lineage, and what they bring to the table from their ancestors, Paul says, okay, you want to talk about who you are in the flesh? Well, let's do it the right way. This is you before the Lord, Ephesians 2, verse 11. Remember, he says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. Remember that you, verse 12, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right? You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. Regardless of your ethnic makeup, friend, God saw us as children of wrath like every other kind of person, like the rest of mankind, the text says. Paul says, look, remember something important about you. You were far off from God. We all were far off from God. And all that our different colors shows is how sin reigns in different colored bodies. He says, remember that, be humbled by that. Remember, therefore, you were far off. Point two, he says, but now, (laughs) but now, verse 13, But now we are all in Christ. So you used to be far. Used to be far off from what? From all the dopeness of God's blessing. Far from his people, far from his land, far from the temple, far from his kingdom, far from his promises, the commonwealth, the covenants, you was far. And he didn't just bring you closer, he didn't just bring you near, he brought you in. We are all in Christ. Yeah, yo, look—we were far off, you know what? No hope, no God, and now we're all up in. Paul's like, he's like, now wait, wait. but you look back. I want you to come and look here. Look to Jesus. Look what He's done for you. Oh, this shuts conflict down with the quickness, doesn't it? Hold on, let's just remember, we're all some big sinners who deserve hell, right? Do you remember that? I didn't remember that. Till we, you just said it to me. Thank you for bringing that. Babe. We've been saved. Praise God. Let's have this convo differently. Look at verse 13. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. Listen, look, see it, read it slowly, by the blood of Christ. How'd you get there? Your mama ain't bring you in there. There wasn't a swap at the hospital like wrong wristband. You get to go in the kingdom. You didn't do your good works enough there. You didn't stumble into there. You didn't accidentally get there. You didn't take yourself there. You didn't ask God to bring you there. How did you get there? He died for you oh look, 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 look what God what God promised to Adam, what he promised to Abram, what he promised to Israel what he promised to David he provided in Christ he's provided Christ in the fullness of time Christ came and what was so dope about Christ coming it says look you want to know what it's like to have God with you bam bam Come and get him. Come to me. Come to me. And it says we've, we've been saved in him. Though we were all de- to be far from God means dead. And it means dead in the most serious way. A believer dies in its sleep. That's, that's actually a good death. To die in your sins. We were done in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked with all our ethnic striding. With all of whoever we were before. I was like, that's how you used to get down. We used to walk in sin. We used to love ours. We used to carry out the passions of our flesh. And we were therefore children of wrath. It says, but God, 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 because of him, because he was rich in mercy, right? Because of his great love through which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he kept his promise. He made us alive together with Christ. Oh, he walked through the tomb yard and called us out, And he didn't check your ethnic tag first. Oh, let me get some... Got any more black people. That's what's up, y'all. Come on. No, 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 no. It is wisdom. We don't know why he picked us. He didn't pick us because of anything dope about us, but you got picked on purpose. This is why we say elect ones, rejoice. You didn't accidentally get saved and you didn't help you get saved. He says by grace. And you could just hear Papa Paul. Hold up, there's problems in my hold up. The, church in Genesis, the saints in witnesses? Faithful ones in Christ. Let me just remind him of a couple of things. You've been saved. And look, <laughs> look, <laughs> Ephesians 2. Verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And, 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 and he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus to sh- so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ? Who are these people? Who are these people? What do they possess? No wonder Paul said, I want y'all to know what you have. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And look, what, what, what did that, what part of that did you have anything to do with? Which part of that was aided by anything in your flesh? What part of that was helped by your skin color or by your heritage or your ancestors? I was like, the only reason anybody is here is because of Jesus. Because he bled for you. We were so grimy. We are so vile. We are so wicked in our sin. The only possible way for us to be saved is if the second person of the Godhead died for us. And what's mind-blowing is that he loves you enough to do it. His blood has secured the arrangement. No wonder Jesus says, every time y'all get together, remember that. Drink to that. I, my body broke for that. My blood, this is the covenant in my blood. Proclaim my death till you see me again. Don't forget that. We be all near so we be forgetting stuff. He said, no, 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 no. no. When you come together, as often as you do it, y'all remember me. His blood has been shed for our sins. His blood permits us to draw near to God. His blood is what cleanses us and forgives us. We were all kinds of wicked, 1 Corinthians 6, but we got all kinds of washed. Right? It's the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ. The cross of Christ cannot be big enough in any church. I like the old school church where they just had this huge... Big old cross. It was ugly, but just that. And I don't want anybody to be looking at no preacher. and say, you better see the cross behind him. (laughs) They ain't got no design team. Didn't look dope, wasn't lights. Just a big old cross. Through Christ being broken so that we might be reconciled to God through that same act we're told, he also did something with every one of his people. Now, in Christ Jesus, you ones who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus' death has, it ends the hostility and it ends the hostility forever. You'll never, ever Ever wake up and God be hostile to you. It can't happen. Listen, our biggest problem is not our skin, but our sin. It's the fact that we all sin against the Lord. This is what even the Jews didn't fully understand. They were near. They needed to be in. God has surveyed all peoples everywhere. He scanned them all in his checkout line, and you know what he thought? Boop, boop, sinner, boop, sinner, boop, Jew, Jew sinner, Gentile sinner. He says there's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No distinction among the peoples. All are far from God on their own. The Bible tells us that the soul that sins shall die. You go to the cemetery, you will find the names of people from every nation buried in it. You'll find Chinese names, African names, European names. It's because everybody got a sin problem. But Christ comes as the Savior of the world. Offered to all the nations, He's the one in whom the Gentiles, all the ethnos, get to hope. And He came to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and that is die on the cross for our sin. Our sin separated us from God, had us living hostile to God as His enemies, but Christ came and died for His enemies. He came to save the ungodly. Christ Jesus came into the world to save a group of people. It wasn't white people, wasn't black people, wasn't Asian people. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul's like, and I'm the biggest one. And what's dope is everybody, everybody. And that's the dope of the everybody. Everybody who receives him, who believes in his name, who trusts in his work, who believes that he he died for their sins and was raised um, from the grave. Everybody who believes and who calls on his name, he brings them back to God. He forever clothes them in his blood, washes them, scrubs them perfectly. He reconciles them to God and he gives them the right. Their identity changes. They turn in their child of wrath card. And he says, you're a child of God now. And the way they get to be a child of God, Jesus wanted us to have no confusion. It's not because of what happened in the flesh, not by the will of man, not by the blood, man's blood, but by his blood, it says only born of God. This is why we can be in any gathering and say, does anybody wish to be right with God? Who wishes to be in Christ? to get all those riches of his inheritance, to get all that access to him, to be able to claim all those promises for yourself, to be able to have his eternal life for yourself. Does does anybody want that? We can say that to anybody, no matter where they're from, because God has been planning for generations to bless all the families of the earth in the moment they hear the gospel and believe it with eternal life. If any would turn from their sin and believe in Jesus and that he died and was raised to life again, they get saved. It's the power of God for salvation to the Jew and to the Greek, to anybody who believes. And Paul's like, look, this whole church, Ephesus, this whole church is filled with people who shouldn't have hope who shouldn't have God, who shouldn't have his promises, who shouldn't have his covenants, who shouldn't have him, but because of Jesus' death on the cross, you all do. And it's equal access. Why? Because of him. Verse 14 starts, for he is Our peace. He doesn't just bring us peace. The text says He is our peace. The cross kills hostility and brings abiding peace. The cross kills. It kills the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. It kills him with the death we deserve. It kills him for our hostility and our sin. And in doing so, we're, we're cleansed, we're saved, and completely at work on the cross. The Lord Jesus, it says he completely and permanently kills the hostility. The wrath of God is forever still. The war with God is forever stopped. And now we have enduring peace. Paul says that doesn't just go between you and God, though. That same eternal and enduring peace has destroyed all the hostility for all of his people in every direction it could be. It's brought peace between them and God, and he's brought peace between them and each other. And he's fixed us together forever. And the way he did that is he brought us all together in him. Oh, the Lord Jesus' blood has brought us all peace. This is what Isaiah said would happen. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And Paul says that him, that reality in him, that in himness, that's the new you. And that's the only you. That's the new you. That's why these letters start to the sinners in the church. Nope. That's not your identity in Christ. You got a different one, which is why he says to the saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus. God sees you differently, and beloved, he sees you differently than you see you. <laughs> on the block, whenever people are trying to um, encourage dignity, particularly in men, <laughs> I think Carl does that still. We see we see, are like, what's up, king? And it's a way to try to instill dignity in them. Now, again, it's based on faulty logic, Right? We was gonna be accurate with just the Bible, but like "What's up, sinner?" Like if they wasn't in the Lord. But Paul's doing this with the saints, say "What's up, saint?" "What's up, child of God?" "What's up, co-heir of the grace of life?" "What's up?" "What's up, royal priesthood?" "What's up, holy nation?" "What's up, chosen race?" "What's up, living stones?" "What's up, body of Christ?" "What's up?" Paul says, this is your new identity. I don't want anyone in the church regarding anyone according to the flesh. Let's press in on a little bit. We are not supposed to regard each other according to the flesh. That's not who we are anymore. We're supposed to regard each other as being in Christ. You say, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like before you keep going, what does God see? What encourages your heart about what God sees? You? You're going to say all Jesus stuff. Jesus stuff over. You. And he's like, exactly. That's by design. Second Corinthians chapter five. It's been a couple months since I said this out loud, but y'all know this is my go-to. This is one of those verses that locked it in for me. When I was a new Christian, I came up. I said, oh, snap. This is what it is. The love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. And therefore, all have died. You dead. That old, you, I don't know the old Carl. And I don't want to know the old Carl. I know the same Carl. Y'all want to know the dead bride. Every time he come out, just ignore him. (laughs) Listen, all have died. We don't talk like this. We're dead. We die. He keeps going. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What's the first he brings up? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, by his grace we came to see better. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? What is he? He's a new creation. What's up, new creations? He's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away. The new has come. All of this is from God. And what we find in that, in that reality of being in Christ, is that is actually our new ethnicity. In the Bible, that's the new you, that's your new brand, that's your new culture, that's your new lineage in Christ. And we understand how ridiculous it is to boast in things of the flesh. How are we boasting in what we were when we were dead? You ever tried to brag about how you used to be when you didn't know the Lord? It's just like, but then you caught yourself like, what am I doing? I didn't do anything dope. B.C. You want to know how important our ethnicities are? How much did it help us with our sin problem? How much did it bring us closer to God? How much does it keep us close with God? The answer is not at all. Now that's one reason I think things are so rough now. People are trying to process the very racist history of America, but they're trying to do it while insisting that this history defines our identity. So if you're white, it's in connection to oppression. If you're black, it's in connection to slavery. And there's whole other identity prisms if you're Latino or if you're Asian. Uh, the world insists that the history of racial realities define people's present identities. They insist it. And the Bible says that's not true. And just think about it. Yeah, don't be surprised. That's what the devil does. Don't be surprised that's what the world does. Don't be surprised that's what the flesh does. They're not talking to you. What's up, saint? Washed, brought in Christ. That's not how Christians are to view their identity. For the Christian, our entire identity is bound up and flows from the reality of the cross. What the world, the flesh, and the devil would seek is for us to look around this church and see divisions or see fences put around people groups. But when Jesus looks around this church, he doesn't see the divisions of people groups. He sees an entirely new group. It's a new people. This is what Peter was trying to get the the exiles to get. They were ostracized. They were struggling. You remember our brother Peter, right? Don't sleep on Peter. Peter was like, yo, 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 y'all remember who you are? You're someone different. You used to be called by a different name. Not my people. You used to be known as don't got mercy. But you're new now because of the cornerstone. Everyone who's come to the cornerstone, they get engrafted in. They get enveloped in. They get adopted in. They get brought into this new society, a new family. You're a chosen race now, a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, ethnos, a people for his own possession, with a whole different purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're someone different now. Oh, if only we knew how new we were. He himself is our peace, Paul says. The reason we have peace with each other is not because we're going to agree on a bunch of stuff. Because we agree on our Jesus. And he, he is our peace. And in him, all that stuff that would have divided and brought hostility, animosity, strife, bitterness, hatred, anger, unpleasantness, unkindness. He broke that all down. Jesus came through with the sledgehammer of the cross and shot that all up. He said, I'm, I'm taking everybody. Christ has pro- completely provided all that unites us he's completely removed, all that would separate us in hostility. Christ has made us something entirely new. We're not Israel as they were. We're not the Gentiles as they were. We're something different. We're something new. Something he calls in this letter to the Ephesians, the church. I mean, it's interesting, just a couple verses down, just look briefly in chapter two of Ephesians says he did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself, again, there's that in him again, he might create this one new man to go along with the two. No, that's not quite right. One new man in place of the two. So making peace. You know how we're supposed to have peace? Because we're united in Christ. We're a part of him. We're a part of each other. You've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. You used to be far. I used to be far. You've been saved. I've been saved. Jesus is your everything. He's my everything. We're new. We're all in Christ. He's made us both one. We were all far from Christ, and now we're all in Christ. And the third one, that I just want to reinforce, three things. Again, if we remember, we'd be helped by this. One, we were all far from Christ. Two, we are all now in Christ. Speaking of believers, obviously, in three, your ethnicity has nothing to do with it. Amen's got quiet on that one, but it's okay. One of the things he's bringing up here is that Jesus has abolished ethnicity as a factor. Uh, Listen, church, that's good news, that ethnicity is not a factor. That's actually the whole argument, because ethnicity was a factor you'd be far off still. I'd be far off still. Even in the church, you have people who were Jews who were still trying to bring fences back up. Like, yeah, 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 no, I know you believe in Jesus, but look, we've been doing it this way for years. He said, no, no, he shut that down. The standing with God has nothing to do with your ethnicity. Nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. It has everything and only everything to do with Jesus. Look, it's good news. Your ethnicity doesn't help you or hinder you in Christ at all. Ethnicity doesn't help you follow Jesus or hinder you from following Jesus. Ethnicity doesn't help you grasp your hope or hinder you from grasping your hope. All there is is Christ. And in him, there's none of that. It's only Jesus. A church is a place where all the different ethnicities say together, no, 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 it's only Jesus. We might look like this, but we want you to know what's happened in us. I want the church to know that contrary to what you are told every single day in the world, Listen, our ethnicities actually don't matter that much. They matter, but not that much. They matter, but not how you're being told they do. What is the purpose of our difference? Your standing before God has absolutely nothing to do with your ethnicity. And it's your standing before God that will determine everything about your life. Christ is your life. This is the problem with intentionally building specific ethnic churches, building a white American church or a black American church or a Korean American church or a Puerto Rican American church or a Russian American church or a Ukrainian American church. And this is the point of the church. By way of illustration, RCF sweaters. It's interesting, I didn't send the text out, y'all just happened to be wearing some of them. The RCF sweaters was not planned. So I'll give y'all a little history real quick. The RCF hoodies have kind of just become a thing on their own. It's a streetwear phenomenon. Uh, we didn't plan to do shirts or hoodies. When me and Shia was thinking through church plan, we never said, yo, we need to have a clothing brand. That never happened. How it happened was our sister Christina. And Christina, if anybody knows Christina, Christina loves this church. She's proud of this church, and she wants to advertise this church. So she said, I'm going to make shirts. I was all right. So she made a few, and people said, oh, snap, those are kind of dope. Let me get one. But then it kind of became a thing. They started selling like hotcakes. There's back orders now. There's different kinds, different colored, you know, tassels. We got people in different states wearing them. Uh, there's people all over the place that love the church and advertise that You don't need a shirt to at, say you love the church. This is just an illustration. Please don't feel condemned if you don't have one. But they're going on sale. I'm just kidding. Um, but look, but for those of us who do have them, there's a helpful illustration. There's a picture for it. There's this affiliation I wear on top of me. Top of my natural body. On top of who I am. And they start to blend together. You just see them as, oh, you the risen Christ fellowship people. They don't like, especially when we wear them when we street events, they don't even remember our names because the shirt like confuses people. It's like, oh, I talked to you. It's like, especially when Emmanuel was here and people thought we looked alike. was like, dude's like, yo, I talked to you. It's like, nah, no, that wasn't me, but y'all had the same shirt on. That's what a church, we put on Christ. We put on Christ. We put on Christ. But it's not a hoodie. Right. I mean, it's more what is it, hijab what the Muslim ladies be wearing that goes head to toe. You see the eyes, but you don't even know who's under it. All you see is the garment. That's how a Christian church is supposed to be. Goggles is Christ, head wrap Christ, hoodie Christ, pants Christ, socks Christ, shoes Christ. All Christ, everything. Right. It's not a hoodie. Christ is a bodysuit. That's what we do in the chain. I ain't no house that we're here. We have house that between Christ and Christ. Ain't no fences or barriers in here. What, we all, This is all of Christ. We're new people. We're a new race. We're a new, we're the Christ people. Listen, our given ethnicities are not for us to be glorying in. They're suits he's given for us to show how all the glory goes, no matter what your hue, no matter what your back. all the glory from all the peoples go to Jesus. This is why in Colossians, if I might, this is why in Colossians, Paul, which our brother read earlier, which we'll get to in a moment. In chapter three, remember, he said, look, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, he said, there's some things you put off and there's some things you put on. Do you know some of the stuff he says to put off? Ephesians, I mean, Colossians chapter three, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you of the earth. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires and covetousness, which is idolatry on account of these the wrath of God is coming. We say yea and amen. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them away. Okay, you were walking. The stuff you used to walk in, we don't walk in anymore, okay? Now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. Seeing that you put off the old self. With its practices. And it put on the new self. Which is being renewed in knowledge. After the image of its creator. Here. Here where? Where is the here he starts talking about? Where is the here? Because he says here. There is not Greek or Jew. Circumcised. And uncircumcised. Barbarian. Scythian. Slave free. But Christ is all. And in all. We don't do that up in here. My mama, when we used to rough house, we got out of control. It was a kind of plan she didn't tolerate. Your mama gave you one of these, y'all take that outside. Paul's like, y'all take that outside. It's all Christ up in here. Christ is all and in all. People really misunderstand this because they misunderstand what the church is. Our differences should not be distracting Away from Jesus, but drawing attention from every corner and every hue towards Jesus. One of the reasons we have differences is so we can all show how, regardless of what it is, we all need the same Savior. That's the big point. That's how ethnicity resolves in the Bible. Where the whole world had come together against God, Revelation 5 gives us a snapshot of how it resolves. In Revelation 5, is we're not supposed to read it and walk away like, oh, snap. That means we all going to be showing up in there like, yo, we, this is what we bringing up in here. That's not the point. It could be conjecture. It's something to talk about. But that's not the main point. The main point is it was completed. His promise to bless all the families of the earth through the offspring has been completed. They're at the throne room. Every people, every nation, every tongue, every tribe doing what? Talking about Salvation belongs to our God. All Jesus, everything. Most glory to Jesus? No, all glory to Jesus. Some honor to Jesus? No, all honor to Jesus. So much so says the nations will bring their glory into it. Like, take that, Lord. Take that, Lord. Take that, Lord. Ah. We don't get it. We forget how supernatural this is and how supernatural we are because there's no one outside of the church that's going to tell you that. But Paul says, oh, do not get it twisted. Don't forget who you are. Understanding what you, I know I'm late, but just understanding what you're looking at changes how you view it. What are you looking at when you look at the church? What are you looking at when you look at the person next to you? Is that your friend in the flesh? Or is that someone you're united to in Christ? Understanding what you're looking at changes how you view it. I'll give you an example. There's a, Tom, uh, there's a man named Tom Yindel, Y-E-N-D-E-L-L. You're going to, want to remember this name. And he's a painter. Anybody know who Tom Yindle is? Great. Uh, He's actually uh, known specifically for painting very beautiful flower canvas paintings. And they really are quite stunning. But truth be told, like most of us, as already established, we're not art people. Um, If you saw the painting, you would think, that's what's up. That's dope. And you would keep it moving. You would think, hmm, like, I would expect to see this at Target. You wouldn't examine the intricate detail or really be at all amazed by it. You would kind of just expect it to be in a regular place where you get art. But understanding what you're looking at changes how you view it. If I told you that Tom Yindel was born without arms, which he was, and that he painted those with his feet and his mouth, which he did, you would view that completely different. You'd be like, he did what? The petals? How did he do the petals? You see the thorn with his teeth, yo. You would have a a different depth of appreciation and even whatever deficiencies you thought you observed, they would be overwhelmed by the wonder and awe that such a work of art could be composed in such an amazing way. When you understood more, you would have a different perspective about it. Well, the reason Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesian church, he says, "If, if we understood more. We would have a different perspective about it. A whole different perspective. And that's why, that's why this letter starts this way. He said, do you know what you're looking at? You know what you're looking at in the church? What does Paul see? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places In the beloved, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. As Frank would say, and there's more in him. Just look at how much that in him, in him, in him, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And look what it produced in the saints. I heard about you church. What did he hear about him? What did he hear about him? I heard of your faith in Jesus and your love towards some of the saints. No, your love towards all the saints. Pause, pause, before Paul said anything, he just started saying, does this change what you're seeing? You look into your church, you might come in, oh, he's kind of ruggedy. Brian's talking too long and phew, we tired. They don't even match. What we're supposed to be seen is the in him ones. The saints in the land in whom is all my delight. The ones that the Lord Jesus bought with his blood. Listen, I just want to say this again. Our natural ethnicity, who we are according to the flesh, It's actually not that important. It does not help you and it does not hinder you in Christ. Therefore, it should not help you or hinder you in the church. And anytime it does, that's a violation. That means someone's out of step with the gospel. If someone's ethnicity is hindering them or helping them, that's a violation. That's against the gospel. There's people you won't marry because of their ethnicity. There's people you won't walk with because of their ethnicity. There's people you won't get counsel from because of their ethnicity. There's people you won't pursue because of their ethnicity. There's people we won't pray for because of their ethnicity. People you won't sit with, you won't be devoted to, you won't abide because of their ethnicity. That's a violation. But this, 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 we, we don't do that. I was at a church and there was a brother named Mr. Reggie. And uh, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Reggie was a wonderful brother. He was very, like, he was not complicated. He didn't play all the games. He just gave you that quick edification and was out. He used to come to all of us. All of us. If you knew Mr. Reggie, he said this to you. He came up, he said, hey, you be trying to tell he said, listen, it's all about Jesus." He's like, it's all all about Jesus. I love him. He's all about Jesus. Jesus loves you. And he will walk away. The people would just start crying and and, and falling into puddles. But Paul is like, "Mm, that's not supposed to be Mr. Reggie. That's everybody's Emma. It's never Jesus plus. It's never Jesus plus. It's Jesus only. I know it's been a while since we gathered in our original building, but y'all remember we had some posters on our wall. And praise God, they got the same posters in the back. You remember what those say, though, right? Now we gather under that banner of it is by grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. Not Christ and also Christ alone. Christ is enough to keep the entire family of God together throughout all the ages in every nation on the earth throughout all the rest of time. That's how full and sufficient he is. In conclusion, two points of application. I'll be quick. One is protect this. We all have to protect this. It's under assault. The devil, the world, our flesh. They seek to undermine the work of Christ. We have to protect it. Y'all remember Under Armour? Under Armour is like an athletic brand. They had a little uh, video back in the day, and uh, there's this campaign, and it's a room full of athletes, and they all getting hyped, right? And they rally up together, and one comes up, he says, "We will protect this house." And then they all get in like this little, they get in this little huddle, and he's like, he said, "Will you protect this house?" And everybody's like, "I will, I will." That's what we're supposed to be as a church. Right? Somebody's like, yo, you protect this church? He's like, I will. I will pause right into the Ephesians. Like, you protect that church. Because he's expecting them to say, we will. We will. How do we do that? Watch out for the Judaizing tendencies. Things that add to the gospel. Letter to Galatians, it was circumcision. It was Oh no, no, no. Justified by faithful. Just you just gotta be circumcised. Because I mean, we're Jewish and come on, like, you really want to be tight. We just really need you to be circumcised. And we might think, what is that? First of all, what? Second of all, like, what is that? Doesn't even seem like a big deal. Paul wrote a letter talking about whoever said that to you, let him go to hell. Don't you ever add to the gospel. Don't you ever let anybody add to it for you. He writes to the Galatians like, who tricked y'all? How did we become okay with this? That's not the way you learn Christ. The letter our Brother Jebe, I read earlier, he wrote this to all the churches. See to it, saints, that no one takes you captive with philosophies, human tradition, following the elementary spirits or traditions of man and not according to Christ and protect this church. No, 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 listen, you don't agree with me about systemic injustice? I wish you did, but not for us to be family in Christ. No, we do not. You don't have to agree with me about the next shooting. And I say next because there will be one. Not for us to be family with Jesus. No, you do not. The place of our fellowship is Christ. And Christ alone. He says, protect your church and protect yourself. And it, and it can happen to any of us. It happened to Peter. Peter was kicking it with the Jews, the, the Gentiles, and when the Jews showed up, he started acting funny. It says he withdrew, he drew back from them as if their less than Jewishness made them less citizens in the church. And Paul got in front of everybody and says, y'all, that's foul and that stands in contradiction of the gospel. It didn't just happen to Peter, it happened to Barnabas. Barnabas, brother Barney, sold his house and donated it to a church. Bible says he got caught up in the wrong thinking. Don't think it can't happen to you. It can happen to us, we're to be humble about it. And the way we know is, did you get it from the book or Facebook? Did you get it from the text or the tweets? This is the place of safety. This is the only place of safety. Is it according to Christ? And lastly, application is proclaiming. We protect it and we proclaim it. The Bible says this is what Jesus did. After... (laughs) It talks about him making peace. Verse 17 says, and he came and preached peace to you. Oh, proclaim this peace. The peace of Christ, that he is our peace. Proclaim the gospel, preach the gospel, and go back. If you see a conflict, whether it's in the family, whether it's in the church, take it. Y'all remember, we were all lost. Remember what Jesus did for us. And based on what Jesus did for us, let's have this conversation again. We have peace. There's no hostility here. We're family. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. This is a gospel that saves. What's crazy about what's happening in the world now, there's no salvation. Because there's only one. There's only one name under heaven given by which men must be saved. When people are, how do I process separation? How do I process hostility? The solution is a Christ. And as saints, we're supposed to say, oh, come and see us. Come and see us. Come and look. Come and look. Christ is the solution. Christ is the solution. Come and see us. We're not divided in here. There's no hostility in here. Not because we agree about everything. There's some crazy stuff we disagree with. But we have Christ, and he's our peace. Come and see a multi-ethnic family. Come and see our multi-ethnic membership. Come and see the the nations together worshiping Jesus. Come and see our multi-ethnic elders. We got a Dutchman. Come and see us praise God with one voice. Come and see us take the Lord's Supper as a family. Come and see this new humanity. Come come and see us live together. We don't just fold our lives with the other people who are like us. Whoever Christ claims, we claim. Come, come, come and see us. Come, come, come see us. Be together, even though we're not the same race. Though the world says we shouldn't, our Christ says we are. Oh, come, come, come and see us. Come and see—we got that peace, baby. We got that true abiding peace. We got peace that takes uh, police shootings. We got peace. Uh, we got peace that takes uh, um, spa shootings. We got we got peace that makes it through Donald Trump. We got peace that makes it through anything. We got peace, peace. What's the peace on? Here's the thing. It has nothing to do with what we did. It has nothing to do with what's happening out there. Christ is our peace. Our peace is a person. We don't have peace because our pastors preach about the recent shootings when they happen. We don't have peace because we all agree about injustice. We don't got peace because we all have the same preferences of worship style. We don't got peace because we all think of history in America the same way. We don't got peace because we all got the same natural ethnicity. Not at all. That was only actually give any peace. I just want to tell you, friend, there's no peace in that. But what we do got is a cross. We got a cross. We got a Christ who saves by his cross. And he makes a whole new people group. And you can come get with us. He's more to each of us. He's more to each of us than anything in the world. He's more to each of us than our own fleshly heritage. He's more to each of us than our very life. He's more to each of us than any cultural privileges. He's more to each of us than any societal disadvantages. He's more to each of us than any suffering or any prosperity. Oh, Christ is everything to every one of us. Let me tell you, come and see. Let me tell you why we love him this way. I want to tell you what he did for us. He saved us. And he seated us with him. We got heavenly access. And this church, as a diverse church, has a unique opportunity to proclaim. In my second conclusion, does Paul do what he says? Does he practice what he preaches? Flip over to Philippians 3. The man who wrote this letter says these words. For we are the circumcision. Those were the ones near. He's of the privileged party, the Jews. Though those who worship by spirit of God and the glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. This is Paul speaking. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. I also, excuse me, if anyone else thinks He has reason for confidence in the flesh. Listen, I got more than you. Circumcised on the eighth day. Check. Of the people of Israel. Check. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Check. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Check. As to the law, a Pharisee. Check. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Check. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Check. But... Whatever gain I had. I count it as loss. I count it as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Church, let us imitate the Apostle Paul, as he imitates Christ. Oh dear Lord, I do pray that you will help us. I pray that you would help us to know what you've done for us in Jesus. I pray that you would help us to never undermine it. pray that you would help us to exalt in it, to rejoice in it, to proclaim it, to display it. That it would be an attractive testimony of this here congregation. Help us to love the Lord Jesus as we're intent to know that he is all. Help people to come into here and sense that in here there's neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, skidding, and free, but Christ is all and in all. It's in his name we pray. Amen.